My name is Lindt. I'm another drunk lawyer. That's the worst kind, I'll tell you that. <laughs> and I found AA some years ago. I'm not going to bother you with the details of my drinking. I can sum it up in one sentence. I drank for 20 years, almost to the dot. And I finished up with a headache, a heartache, and an empty pocketbook. And if you're interested in the details, UAAs, you write them because you know them just as well as I do. And to the non-drinking group, ask your nearest AA. It is true that for the last 10 years, I've been associated with the Hazelden Foundation. I gave up my law practice. But lest you think that there's any heroics concerned with that, or I am entitled to any credit, I say no. I quit to do something that I was deeply interested in, that I have been very, very happy in doing, and I don't think there's much credit for anyone to do anything that they're happy in doing. I have a profound admiration for the man that is doing a difficult job under trying circumstance. Part of my work has been educational up there, as a matter of fact, all of it is, and is to try to lead some lost alcoholics out of the wilderness of mental, of, of alcoholic abnormality. I've spoken to a lot of public groups, and I know there are people here today who are not alcoholics. And perhaps some that do not understand this problem, and perhaps a few who want to keep this problem on the basis of a moral fault. And if I serve no other purpose in coming down here than to leave with you the idea that the alcoholic is a sick person, it's well worthwhile coming here. And that applies to some wives and a lot of people who have orally and consciously accepted the fact that the alcoholic is a sick person but never have accepted it emotion. We see that many times. Sure, he's a sick person. But if he ever has a relapse, throw him in jail, lock him up, get him out of here. You don't do that. Alcoholism has been called an illness or a disease, and I think it's one of the most baffling, complex of all diseases. Because I know of no disease in existence today that has the facets of infection or is as disastrous in its result. There is no disease today that destroys the total man. Many times it's just alcoholism. Mentally, morally, spiritually, and sometimes financially. And to those who believe that this is a voluntary act on the part of the alcoholic, I ask you in all honesty to ask yourself this question, whether it's reasonable for a person of ordinary intelligence to continue to do something that is destroying everything that's valuable in life, his own self-respect, the love and affection of others, and the respect in his community. He won't do it. No sane person is going to do it.
many definitions of alcoholism, and I have learned much that this place of ours, one of three, Hazelland is for men alcoholics, 30 miles from us is DLN for women, DLN incidentally is Gaelic, for God be with you. Then we have the Fellowship Club for Men in St. Paul. It's a non-profit organization, and they've done a lot of educational work. I've been there for ten years at Hazel. I can give you any number of definitions of alcoholism. Some were given you yesterday. Physical allergy, the mental obsession... Sometimes it's not descriptive to others. The compulsive use of a toxic drug. I love that one of Dr. Tebow who says that the alcoholic is a person with a feet firmly planted in midair. And there's a lot of truth to that. If you must have a definition, the best one that I know is that it is a learned, a learned, inadequate immature response to life problems and personality difficulties and recovery can only be obtained by re-education and unlearning. Unlearning those old responses to anger, to frustration, to fear, to resentment, and finding new avenues of approach to those problems in our life. It was truly said yesterday that alcoholism is a way of life. I've called it that for years. And that AA is another way of life. Alcoholism is destructive by its very nature. To some, and, alcohol, and AA is a positive, affirmative way of life. And if there are any new men here today, new men or women, I perhaps know the fear that's in your mind, the fear of giving up your crutch, the fear that something is going to be taken away from you. Let me establish that fear and say you'll lose nothing but your change, but you'll gain that which I have the power to describe. It's never what you give up, it's what you acquire that's important. And that's why we all must be learning, and the minute we stop learning, we'll go back to where we were. The many paths and approaches to this recovery program. And perhaps I can explain why it is the Psychiatrists, the clergy, and the doctor has never been too successful with AA. It's a triple illness, mental, physical, and spiritual. They are confident in their field, and we need them. I've gotten over the early idea that we know it all. We need them in this field. 
But you see, they can only treat a third of the illness, and we're always leaving the man two-thirds sick. And you can't recover when you're two-thirds sick and one-third well. I don't think it would take anyone very long. They were in a position that I am where I have seen some 3,100, 3,200 men come through Hazel. They're able men. They're good men. Destroying themselves because they're habituated and need and uses medicine a very, very toxic drug, an anesthesia, because that's properly what alcoholism is. The alcoholic first has to understand himself. He has to get enlightened. But it's more than enlightenment. It's putting into practice some affirmative way of life. And when you take something from a man and give him nothing in the stead, you are leaving him barren indeed. AA is a way of life to be lived. And I'm going to use the words of another man to show you the heart and the soul of the alcoholic, because I haven't the words myself. It was a man I knew that destroyed himself in the St. Paul jail. Some of you have read his book, The Third Strike. I met him, I called on him, early in AA in 1941. Like every other alcoholic I've ever known, he was a man of intelligence, and he was searching in life as you and I are searching many other people in this life. I think this answers the question of whether this is a moral fault, whether we were ever conscious of what we're doing. I don't claim that it isn't. Where the moral culpability lays off and where the illness takes over, I think only the good Lord knows. But let me give you his word. If you sow tares, can you reap wheat? If you sow wrong, can you reap right? If you are impelled, impelled periodically to practice slavery, can you ask for purity and virtue? And the answer is no. And then he told how he'd suffered through the seeming eons of mental misery. False hope, despair, honesty of purpose, dishonesty in action. I think that one paragraph is the heart and soul of every alcoholic I've ever known when you can strip away from him this vast self-deception which throws that wall of isolationism around you. Somewhere very deep within me lies the love and the reverence of true womanhood and true manhood. Which is not to have something, it's to give something, not to get something, but to be something. Not to rule, but to serve. And how beautifully that is illustrated in AA. Said, what is it men seek in life? Fame and fortune, those are the prizes for little men. Not for big men. And prizes sometimes that inflict much misery in the winning. The rich are rich and the poor are poor and the riches and the poverty are cursed to both. I thought, these are 
fame or fortune. I saw self-mastery, the greatest achievement in life. I think I know alcoholics, being one, watching them. It's almost sickening to see men, as we have seen them at Hazelden, and within the past year, half men, five years, eight years, ten years, one man, fourteen years dry, went back to drinking. One of them is no more. I could make a very, very unhappy talk about the 80 or 90 men that I have known, men of ability and achievement, that went back to drinking, and they are no more. And they had a chance at it, but they didn't take it. And they died horrible, avoidable death. They shot themselves. They hanged themselves. They died in the DTs. They froze to death. They died in an automobile accident. Two didn't. One of them is serving a life sentence in our Stillwater prison. He had been dry four and a half years. Came out of a, and went back to drinking and came out of a bunch drunk with the police shaking him, telling him that he had shot and killed his wife. Oh, I know what you'll say. Perhaps the same thing as I said at first. That couldn't happen to me. I'm not that kind of a person. The old pharisaical thing that kept me from doing something about my drinking, and I see so much certainly around me every day. Thank God I'm not like other men. I am. I didn't know him too well. I'd seen him many times. The men who were in his group told me that he was one of the finest, gentlest men. That he wouldn't hurt a fly. John Barleycorn pulled the trigger. But he paid for it. And is paid for it. Dream cases, of course. And another man that at one time we pointed out as Exhibit 1. He came from an excellent family. He was more or less of a social misfit. He didn't belong in Skid Row. But he went there. Father set him up at business many times. He lost. But he stayed dry three and a half years. Was making $20,000 a year and had a good business. He did what many another man has done in AA. Not too many, but some. He violated his marriage and, of course, got drunk. He had to stultify his mind. <sighs> you think I'm telling you any fairy story? Just ask me after this meeting. I'll give you his name and address. And if you ever get to Rochester Medical Center, you can go and visit him because for the last Twelve years, he has been a patient in the insane asylum at our state institution. I think I know something about men returning to liquor.
You know, I'm very serious about this, this problem of ours. I've seen too many men go back to it. And I'll tell every man here today, I don't care how long he's dry. As I mentioned the other night, it isn't a period of the time that a man lives. It's the quality of his life that is important. It isn't how long he's been dry, but the type of sobriety, the quality of it, that's important. Be careful how you live. You may be the only copy of the big book that other people are going to read. We're told that with the vast unbelief and disbelief of the alcoholic, we sometimes don't show it. Be careful how you live. Why do men go back to drinking? Many reasons. Probably I could tell a story that illustrates to guard the great Persian philosopher, or Hindu philosopher, and poet, Told the story of the beggar on the road who was begging on from the passers-by. And he heard that the king was coming and he thought, now is the opportunity to get arms that will last me the rest of my life. But when the king came, instead of giving arms, he asked for them. And this beggar very reluctantly took out a few kernels of grain from the pouch around his neck and gave it to the king. That night, as he was counting out the various kernels of corn and oats and wheat that he had received, he found in place of those that he had given away little nuggets of gold. And he cried out in anguish, Why didn't I give my all? And I told that story many times, and some of those men that died Know it. And I've often wondered in that closing moment where each of us shall leave this life and enter eternity. If those men didn't have the moment of our reflection and think of that story and cry out in anguish, Why didn't I give my all? They'd have been alive today if they had. You wonder why I'm serious? You know, I mentioned this is a way of life that crowds out the old. It's always new. And yet the principles of AA are written in the marble halls of time. I knew them when I was a kid. Why didn't I use them? The Lord knows. I don't. I have known everything that's that, that I have heard in AA in one form or another when I was a kid. I'd learned the art of giving. I was told when I was small that life was a journey. It wasn't just growing up. It wasn't just learning. It was a journey from God to God. And the many things might happen to you on a journey as they, as we all know they do on a physical journey. That was the explanation given by my mother. 
But I could not understand as a child the blind. And she pointed out that on this journey of life, some were blind and handicapped. That journey's end, perhaps, they would see better than would I. I knew those things. Why didn't I put them into practice? No, that I'll never know. I was told the art of giving. And I can point out to you all the things in AA and many of the things that I was taught when I was a child. And even in high school, they didn't mean anything to me. It took AA to bring definite and positive meaning of those things as a principle, the basic principles of living. I knew that and was told that all happiness was based on denial, and I denied myself nothing. I was taught that a person must discipline themselves, and I was unwilling to do it. And I was also taught that anything that is worthwhile in life must be earned. And I have no criticism of anyone, but it's always a little amusing to me that when I hear this statement, oh, there's nothing to AA, it's easy. The learning process was never easy for me. Never. And I can tell anyone that's coming into AA, you'll get all the wonderful things that AA has to offer, but you shall earn them. We're told that. We earn our bread by the sweat of our brow. Does that mean just the food that we put on our face? No, it's everything that we need in life. I learned those things early. I often wonder why I could not keep the promise that I made to my early God that I would be faithful through the coming years. I can give you AA and many, many poems that I knew. Perhaps one of the the ones that exemplify what we have seen, what we have heard, what we felt here in our association, this magnificent convention, was in Lowell, beautiful poem, Sir Longfellow. You remember it, you have to memorize it, I suppose. Some of you that are as old as I am, where we went through that period of memorizing many, many things. Gave me at one time a good memory. I'm losing it a little bit. His old age is creeping up on me. You remember, Sir Longfell started out to find the Holy Grail, the chalice that Christ had drank from. And in this vision, it was pointed out to him that within these castle walls, the grail is found. There's another way of saying within every man, God is found. But that one stands to the said, it's not what we give, but what we share for the gift 
without the giver is there. Who gives himself for the arms, deeds three, himself, his hungry neighbor, and me. There's a Also know the, perhaps, very low state of mind that men come to the end of the road, come to AA. Those mental impenetrable barriers that we place ahead of ourselves, they are bogeys that you've created in your own mind. They'll disappear. My friend Paul, God bless him, brought out last night to get back to AA, get back to the book. I have to do it all the time. Yet I see men coming in to Hazelland that have been in AA, and when I tell them, get busy reading the book, I've read it. Well, I don't want to brag, but if I haven't read that 25 times, I'll read it, and I can read it again tonight or tomorrow, and I can learn from it. Because that attitude of learning must be part of my nature. I mean, I have to have. Let me give you the words of the book to the new man that's coming in to the old man. Nothing going to be finer than that. I'll sum up AA in one paragraph for brevity. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him freely and to your fellow man. Clear up the wreckage of the past. Join us and give freely what you find. Surely we will be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will meet some of us as you touch the road to happy destiny. God bless you and keep you until then. There is a in a nutshell. To those who are interested in it, and I think we should have that paragraph printed and should be alongside of every shaving there and every vanity in this in this uh, group of ours. It's on page 164 of the big book, the last paragraph. I doubt if anyone came to AA in a lower state of mind than I. I was supposed to have some intelligence. Maybe I did. I'd never used it. And AA is not just so many idle words. To me, it represents the sum total of the ideals of Christ. Trust God. Love thy neighbor as thyself and admit your faults. Trust God. I never had any trouble with that, with the spiritual part of it. I had a good basic religious education. And don't let me give you the impression that I'm any criterion of what AA should be. I still have to cry out as did Tennyson in that prayer of his, 
all that a man would rise in me, and a man I am would cease to be. And that is still true of me. I've heard many things about these talks about people that have difficulty, the spiritual part of AA. I don't know what I would have done had I not had the spiritual background that I had. I'm quite sure I would have destroyed myself. Some of you have, may have picked up this little pamphlet that we had out there just for today. You'll notice a sunrise. And I drew that crudely and had an artist copy it. But underneath is a statement that I think kept me sane in all the travail of drinking. Each day at sunrise, our soul is born again. No matter what the mistakes are of yesterday, this is the day that the Lord made for me to enjoy. I can understand that. I sometimes say I haven't had a drinking problem for a number of years. People wonder, uh, perhaps after your dry period of time, the thought of a drink comes to you, surely, that I can eliminate it in two shiny seconds. I want no part of it. And I'll make a statement that I heard a man make from Akron who was then two years dry with the early hundred who said he reached the point where if he could be a normal drinker tomorrow he would not drink and I thought either that fellow was a, a descendant of Ananias he never drank the way I did or the horrid thought came up we'd only be going a month the horrid thought came to my mind listen these guys in New York and Akron you know they've got a gimmick that they'll lead you along for a while and then they'll crack it at you and it's going to cost you money I can say that in truth and honesty today if you know me and know my history you would say that indeed is a miracle because when I came to AA I didn't think that it was possible Ever to live without liquor, I didn't think it was possible to get back that which I had lost. And I came back in a large measure. But I can lose what I have if I don't continue to live this program in everything of my daily life. And when I came to the point of step one where I admitted that I was powerless over alcohol, that my life had become unmanageable, it wasn't done instantly. We're great on taking words. We play a, little, a lot with semantics and AA. Why can't we accept truth as we see it? The character truth is such that it can go through the experience or go through the test of universal experience and come out and change from every form of honest and fair discussion I couldn't get around that I was an alcoholic but you have to do some thinking 
One man said, I'll just throw out these thoughts for you. Perhaps the best test of an alcoholic is what kind of thinking do you do when you're not drinking? If that isn't sound, if it isn't enthused, if you cannot find the satisfactions in life that you need to sustain you, you're going to do some screwy thing. You'll try some of the escapes that other people try through sex, through love of nature, through love of children, which is very deep in this alcoholic picture. We always brag about, brag about our kids. I have three marvelous and beautiful daughters. And they're intelligent. They didn't get them from the old man. They're intelligent from the old man, I can tell you that. Two of them are attorneys. And they did that going to night law school. They quit the university to get married. And I think they did it to the old man. We try and image in our children that which we know we're not. We have a deep love for them because they represent to us cleanness, decency, and honor. That we know in a vague way that we have lost and wish we had. But don't try and mold them into the image that you picture they should be. Let them as they are. Leave them alone. Guide them by your example. Encourage them to live the kind of a life that they should. But you can't mold anyone into an image of your own. They're wonderful to have. And unless you understand life as a journey, I'm afraid you're all going to be badly hurt. You must realize that nothing can be longed for or loved without someday the certainty that we're going to leave it. And you see where we make the mistake that you and I are trying to settle down all the time and don't understand that life is a journey from God to God. And many things, as we know, happen to us on the physical journey. Many things happen on this journey, Sagar, uh, spiritual Sagar of ours, or journey of life. Sometimes we have to detour. Sometimes we have to put up with inconvenience. But if you and I have that unfaltering, undailing trust that Brian talks about, we can take them as they come, knowing that it's all part of a lifetime. I also know with my children, two of them are married now. They grow up. They leave you. They die. They're a trust given us by Almighty God. Give our best. You see, in this admission that I was an alcoholic, all I needed was one thing, to look back. And not once, not twice. But to perhaps 50 or 100, I don't know how many times, that I had placed myself in a position where I could not defend and take care of those that I had promised Almighty God and the civil authorities that I would give my best to. And I did. They could have died. They could have been attacked by an intruder. And me laying drunk. Are you powerless over alcohol? That's an individual decision. I wouldn't tell anyone that. 
I know that there are a hundred of alcoholics today that'll never come to AA. They don't think they're having a problem because it doesn't make the headlines. It isn't in your paper or mine. But they're having a terrible time with alcohol. If they could only realize. Is your life unmanageable? We're not the only one. I look about me and see people destroying themselves with fear, resentment, hatred, self-pity. And I don't think that we differ much from other people. I can point out every, every characteristic of the alcoholic and other people. The only thing is that they don't go to excess with a toxic drug and destroy themselves. But they're just as wretched and unhappy as you and I are. I've seen people that take, take, take from life as I did for so long. Never realize that happiness, the hunger to give, unhappiness is the hunger to get. Surely at this stage of the game I can look back and find that every bit of unhappiness that I had, ever had in life, was when I wanted to get. Have people act the way that I wanted them to, to give to me, to have events happen as I thought they should. It was a hunger to get, and when I learned a little bit about giving to life, I found happiness. You know, there's an old painting that I used to see years ago, and that didn't mean anything to me now, but then it does now. It's quite a striking thing. It was by, painted by Sir William Watt. Maybe many of you have seen it. Very startling because the, black, uh, the background is black. It's a, a black drape. It's a man lying on his funeral pier. The covering of the funeral pier is black. And the startling part of that picture was a magnificent head of the man. The flowing silver hair. The high forehead of the intellectual, the deep-set eyes of a thinker, the determined jaw of a man of courage and determination. And to emphasize that on one side is the unsheathed sword, showing that indeed he was a man of courage, military power. And on the other side, the, un, uh, the uh, book, showing that he was a man of learning and breathing and education. And underneath that picture were the words that are going to follow you and I and every human being. We all know we've got to die. Sick trend. journey was over. Beneath that are two of the great truisms of life. What I said I lost. How many times that cry has come to man. What I saved is going to go to others. But what I gave, I have. That's it. You know, when you're in the position I am where you see these marvelous men the men that want the best in life, the men that want the satisfactions in life that you and I need, that desperate, desperate searching of the alcoholic, 
every alcoholic is searching. Every person on the face of the earth is searching. We'd like to have certitude. We'd like to have the blueprint of life. We'd like to have the security of some place after this. We're told it's with people of vast belief, disbelief. I've seen men laying there when their children, their wives, their fathers, mothers are buried. Like and manageable. That's your job, not mine. I, I made that decision years ago. And it took AA and the grace of God to help me maintain a way of life that I have at the words or the ability to tell you how great it is. We can show you the tangibles. You see them here today with the wonderful men that are here, Jim and Juan, all the rest of you. Wonderful, wonderful. But we can't show you the intangible. We can't show you the, the wealth of AA. And we're the wealthiest people in the world, and I'll tell you why later on. We know that wealth and poverty are the spirit. Not the material world. We only have the ability to get across to everyone to live this way of life. We're not the only ones ill and suffering. We're not the only fearful persons. We're not the only ones that haven't adjusted to life. We're not the only people that cannot live with ourselves because that's basically why the alcoholic is drinking. He's an unhappy person when he isn't drinking. And he hasn't found what he's searching for in life. And in my book, it's eternal value here. We're told that we don't believe it. But I can prove all these things that I'm saying and I wish I had the time. And it's coming to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity and make that decision to turn our will and our lives over to God as we understand Him. Well, what mentioned this man that, that please not yet, actually that came, comes from St. Augustine. I think there's a lot of that in me. He prayed for grace and purity, but please, God, not yet. Many things that I still want to keep to myself. Many things that I, I dislike to give up. That I hope in time will come to me. And the inventory, and don't misunderstand that inventory. If it is, it's explained properly to you, I think you would do it and do it thoroughly. Don't fluff these things over. They mean something. Or they wouldn't be there. It's not for the purpose of condemnation. It's for the purpose of evaluation. Never overlook your qualities. The alcoholic has tremendous resources. You remember that story of this uh, man that was in the, one of the movies, the four-way amputee in the war, lost his hands and legs. Said it isn't what you've lost, 
It's what you've got left. Taylor got plenty left. But you'll learn something about yourself. Isn't that good for anyone? But isn't that good for the non-alcoholic? So many people walking with fear on the face of this earth that is pathetic. People that never had a drink that would benefit infinitely, as anyone would in coming to AA. We all have problems. We all have anxiety. We have frustrations. They'll all be alleviated and relieved if you live AA. It's a way of life for anyone, and a beautiful way of life. But you must earn it. I discovered a great deal about myself. I have much yet to know. You know, I'm very suspicious of me. I know the kind of a chiseler, a cheat, and a dishonest person that I was in my drinking days. I know also, even from infancy or from young childhood, how I sought to evade the consequence of my acts, and I did it with that involved system in the self-deception of alcoholism. You can't separate a man from his acts anymore than you can separate a man from his soul. And I think the greatest of all tragedies in, a, in AA or in uh, alcoholism is that the sick, sane, sorry, intelligent person is always pain for the insane didos of the drunken of the same individual. Why? That isn't drinking alone. You realize in step four that in addition, in addition to our physical susceptibility to drinking and not being able to drink, that there are many things that we have to clear up in the line of our character, that deceit, dishonesty, lying and cheating and all the rest of the things that grow on the alcoholic and are, are inherent to other people in life. I see just as much selfishness in other people. I think fundamentally there isn't any difference between the alcoholic who has a family and kids and neglects them than the businessman who plays golf all the time and in the fall is hunting and fishing, the wintertime card playing. What's the difference except the moral culpability? He's not meeting his responsibilities to his family. Now does he do it to just as screw as the alcoholic? We always say, here, I'm tied up in court. You know, if I have a few drinks... Now, I'll get a little very relaxation in a hurry, and you could even reason it out that it was really beneficial for the family. What does that guy do? Well, i got to keep myself in good shape. Isn't it the same selfishness? I see the same projection in the gossip. You know, this projection of the alcoholic, you get into a fight or argument with a big guy in a bar. And we're not famous for guts, you know. Dr. Leiden says we have 36 feet of intestines, just like every other human being, but very little gut. And there's a lot of truth when it comes to our personal thing. Well, this big lug, you know, you'd like to slug him silly, but uh, discretion is always a better part of valor, so you leave, but you're mad. What do you do? 
Oh, and there's nothing nothing right that night. The steak is no dark iron. Good, you have to burn the thing tonight. What's the matter? Food is lousy. There's nothing the matter with the food at all. The guy is projecting his frustration on his wife. We do that all the time. Well, then the wife, you know, it's a kind of a chain reaction. She goes out and kicks the dog. Young man say, what you kicked the dog for? He didn't do anything. I've been meaning to get rid of that mutt for a long time. I suppose the dog chases the cat, the cat chases the mouse. Kind of a chain reaction. Yeah, alcoholism is just one addiction. The greatest of all addictions, you know, is eating. Then there's a work addiction, and strangely enough, many alcoholics substitute a work addiction for a drinking addiction. They work day and night, and sometimes work themselves into a slip. To get balance in your life, that's not easy for me today. Also, the addiction to arbitrary narcotic is a cursed tranquilizer. You know, we've had three men with long periods of sobriety. I don't blame the doctors. They don't understand the alcoholic. Because prior to a few years ago, the only education they got on it was a few hours of how to take care of the acute cases of alcoholism, the DTs. So they give them tranquilizers, and these men had had a long period of sobriety. And, of course, you know, if they took them normally, it'd be all right. But, uh, you know, the alcoholic, if one is good, two is twice as good, three is three times as good. So they toss them in like popcorn. And you can get just as drunk on those as you can on food. Another avenue of escape. Here's why I recommend an inventory to anyone here. There's a definite reason and purpose behind it. It's to leave things behind in life. Learn from them, leave them go. We say forget the past, and then we proceed or the ears off everyone with everything that we've done for 20 years. See how inconsistent we are. Learn from them, leave them behind. There's no one can carry the past with them. And on this journey of life, why not be good travelers and travel lightly with the things that mean something to you? And you're going to be surprised, you non-alcoholics as well as the alcoholic, how few, how very, very few, the really and truly important things of life are. I can enumerate them. You can put them any way that you want. It's the way I take my inventory at night. Just trained as an attorney, I learned to ask questions. And I'm such a chiseler that if I just said, how did today go? Oh, it goes fine. Or it didn't go fine at all. But I can't lie when I say, how did you live today according to God's laws? I'm bound by them. They're inexorable. They're inviolate. The laws have never been broken. The only thing men do in attempting to evade them is destroy themselves. Obviously, the man that jumps from the ten-story window to the pavement doesn't destroy the law of gravitation. He destroys himself. How have I lived according to God's laws? What's been my attitude towards my family? I could talk for hours on that. There's a place to start your 12-step work at home. A place we've caused. 
most trouble. And I say that because I've had occasion and several times to say to wise, well, it's pretty good to have the old boy dry it. I don't know. Sometimes I think we just as well off or better off when he was drinking. At least he was civil once in a while. What kind of nonsense is that? But that's the hardest place to apply. What's been my attitude towards my work? That has to be sound and healthy or I have to get out of it. And I'll tell you how I feel about AA. If Hazelden in any way was influencing my sobriety, I'd be packed and out of there in an hour. Sobriety means my life, my sanity, and my freedom. And that's the phrase I started early to repeat to myself, and I said it, and I'm not exaggerating, hundreds of thousands of times. What's been my attitude towards my fellow man and myself? It has to be sound. I've learned something about forgiving myself. And then that inventory, there's another one. I haven't got the time. I don't want to keep you too long. We spend about three complete days on the inventory and mental catharsis. There is no step in AA that has caused more difficulty than failure to make step five. And I don't mean this old baloney of going to some guy in AA and say, yeah, I did this and that. The only thing you'll tell is something that he knows about anyway. But are the things that burn you You'll only tell them to a clergyman and go to a clergyman. Of whatever faith you want, but go to someone that understands alcoholism. Now, tendency that we have, and other people have it, of pushing back in your mind those things that really bother and burn you, nah, that's too well known. You see, we pretend they don't exist. We know they'll exist. You know that if you were in my position... A man was brought in there not long ago. He couldn't take any of the ordinary drugs. And he pleaded with the men to sit up with them all night. He said, oh, God, they're three o'clock in the morning. Sure. Scott Fitzgerald said, when you're drinking, it's always three o'clock in the morning. I call at the Bluebeard Chamber, the alcoholic mine where we lock those skeletons in a closet and pretend that they're not there, but those are the things that come out to haunt us in the dark stretches of the night, and we cannot sleep. I've heard so many controversy over that, the book don't say nothing about this and that, and you can do it any time. Read page 57 of the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. Bill Wilson, after 12 years of experience, tell, said, uh, tells about that tendency that, that we're going to deny the things that really bother and burn us. And he said that is not only unwise, but actually a perilous resolve. Few mental attitudes that cause us more trouble in AA than holding back on step number five. You know, we had a writer at, at uh, well, he also goes on to say that uh, even AA old-timers, sober for years, often pay dearly for skipping this step. 
to tell how they try to carry the load alone and how unconsciously seeking relief they would protect their own faults on others. The relief never came from confessing the sins of other people he each has to confess his own. We had a writer that came down from Canada, a newspaper man, five and a half years dry. And while he was there, he was doing a series of articles in the Hazelwood. They call it Miracle House in Canada. We get a terrific Canadian uh, clientele. We were on step four and five, and he came to me, and he said, Lynn, I, I've never really truly made a best step as you recommended here. We have a clergyman that hears that. He said, I'd like to do it. He went over and did it after good inventory. And when he came back, and before he left, he talked to the men, and he told them about his five and a half years sobriety, and he said that he found after that experience that he had settled for five and a half years for a second or a third rate sobriety, which is a, to me the most amazing thing in the world. You and I want the best. We always did when we were drinking. Let's have the best in AA. I'm the only one that ever benefited from the fifth step of my own. You didn't, except secondhand, maintain my sobriety. But it brought that magic phrase to me in reality, serenity and peace of mind. Every man that comes there to Hazelman, practically everyone, once in a while you meet the man that won't do it, he goes out and gets drunk. And we've had men that have been in AA for years. And until they took a good fifth step, they couldn't stay dry. Well, the time is running short. So I'm going to lump some of these steps in four, seven, or six and seven. Ten and eleven, I think, are sometimes in the neglected steps of AA. They go to the maintenance and the core, the root of our character cancer and everyone's character cancer. We're ready to have God remove all our defects of character. That alone would show you what AA is. I paraphrase something else to apply to AA. That AA is a science, study of a lifetime, in which you may exhaust yourself, but never your subject. Certainly, the last four days have proved that. The science of good living. The science of acquiring serenity and peace of mind. And I never, in my grandiose days of drinking, wanted anything but the best. I want the best in AA. I make mistakes. There is a night of my life I don't have to get down on my knees and say, God, forgive me, ye sinner. But I trust to his infinite mercy. And then making amends, make a list of people that we'd harm, came ready, willing to make amends to them. And step nine, made direct amends to persons who accept to do so would cause them harm. You know when you say harm to the alcoholic, do you know what that means? I've heard it. You know, I haven't heard them harm my family. That means in alcoholic language. I haven't taken the baseball bat and cracked their head like a like a nut. 
But he called harm. What about the spiritual harm? What about the mental harm? What about the emotional harm that you and I did? The people that loved us the most. I'll spend a lifetime trying to make amends on that. No matter what I do, no matter what I give to my family, and I, I demand nothingness of them. All I want is the opportunity to serve them. Because, you know, I had the opportunity of going out to, especially going out to the Veterans Hospital, had a brother-in-law that died of throat cancer. That taught me. Taught me a lot. I saw a lot of men that had been out there 25 years, flattening their bags. Their friends were gone, but the wives were there. I don't know, they can accuse us of, the, uh, of everything in the book, and bad judgment, certainly it was, and almost idiocy. You'll have to give the alcoholic credit for his ability to select the right woman to marry. They're marvelous. They'll stick where no one else will. I told you about that, brother, and I have to tell you this. Well, I seen him one time, I stood for the elevator. Looked at me and he said, Tomorrow morning, a glass of orange juice, three pieces of bacon, an egg, two slices of toast and coffee. You eat that for me. You don't think that I have a sense of gratitude to Almighty God, every time that I sit down to even the slice of toast, you don't know what it did to me. And then step ten, continue to take inventory, and when we're wrong, promptly admitted I never admitted that I was wrong in my life until I came to I pray that it would weaken my character, and it's the greatest character builder that I know. In reviewing my experience, I have been wrong so many times in life, I sometimes wonder if I'd ever been right. And I don't question whether I'm wrong or not. I just accept the fact that I am, because I'm still an alcoholic, and I'll die an alcoholic, but by the grace of God in AA. I'm an undrinking alcoholic. Thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God, praying for only knowledge of His will, the power to carry it out. Have you ever figured out what we're asking? Knowledge and power, the greatest things on earth. But we're not asking for our own knowledge and power because we know what we've done on that. It kept me plastered for about ten years, the last ten years of my drinking. Knowledge of God's will and the power to carry it out. If there's any question in any of your minds when anything comes up, ask yourself the simple question if you want to know what God's will for you is. Is this the right, the just, the honest and honorable thing to do? Will it help my sobriety? Or is it wrong, sneaky, contemptible, and dishonest? Will it harm my sobriety? Try and get around now and take a drink. Or ask yourself, does this have God's approval? Carry this message to other alcoholics. You know, there's only one reason that I'm here tonight. 
one consideration of other alcoholics. I don't do this work graciously. I try to. It's a command performance. It's meeting my obligation. I took from life for years and gave nothing back. And when I needed something, the barrel was empty. And I don't think any of us have done too much. I don't delude myself that I have done too much in AA. I think any man that thinks that he is a dried up another man is way off theme. We all have a small part in it. I have some skill and ability as a teacher because I taught golf for years. That's how I got through law school, as a professional golfer. And I saw the physical faults of people. It could be some with some corrected instantly, others take a long, long time. Change over and look for the mental faults something else again. But I feel a great deal like Socrates. He was complimented one time in his ability as a teacher. He said, they learn little or nothing from me. Everything they've been able to master and acquire has come and discover, has come from within themselves. But to God and to me, they owe their deliverance. Is there a man of any length of sobriety here that cannot in truth and honesty say to himself, to God and to AA, I owe my deliverance. Practice these principles all are in all our affairs that tell. I would like to leave a little message of hope. But a new man, this works. It works. Here was a man who didn't think that he could live without liquor. I don't care what keeps you dry at first. It'll only be AA. It has to be AA. Hold on. Hold on. Keep your courage. It'll come in time. I'd like to leave a little message with the old-timer because I've seen too many of them drop away from me, eh? Some of them get drunk. Some of them seem to maintain their sobriety. But as I told you, I want the best. And the only way I can get the best is to be with you people that I love and that you love me. The only way I can keep what I have is to give it away. And in the old timers sometimes get a little too proud to make calls or a little bit too lazy or self-complacent. I would like to give you the history of a poem. The close of the last century, England had become the mightiest country in the world. A small compact army backed by her colonial possessions with a match of any land force in the world. Her navy indeed was mistress and queen of the sea. And it was a boast of every Englishman. The sun never sets on British soil. Britannia rules the way. And I also boasted that no person could ever misuse it. 
uh, uh, citizen of Britain without the ships of Britain being in a harbor the next morning and an apology and indemnity demanded. But in that power came arrogance. And it was reflected in our intercourse with other nations and in our people. And one way man watched with dismay. Rudyard Kipling, the Pope Laureate of England at that time, and he wrote this beautiful, magnificent poem, The Recessional, where he admits the might of England and her dominion over palm and pine. But he points out that that was obtained at great sacrifice. And every stanza of that beautiful poem is closed with a solemn and somber warning. Lord, God of hope, be with us yet. Lest we forget. I hope if the time ever comes to some of you old timers that you get too arrogant, too complacent, to go out and help the other man, or that I, I hope someplace, somewhere down in my heart or in my mind, is that one vestige of humility and understanding that will cry out to me, Lord God of hope, be with me yet, lest I. This is not an easy program. It's a program to be lived. The test of AA will never be my ability to talk it to you here, to learn it, to read it, to memorize it. It's how well do I apply to every phase, facet, and aspect of my own individual life. And it could mean many things, different things to many people. Sound like a big order? Take it a day at a time. Now, someone the other day gave me a copy of a magnificent thing, the most beautiful thing that was ever written in the 24 hours. I've used it for many years in AA. It's distorted, and no one has a right, I don't think, to ever distort the writings of another man. He's going to quote So I'll give you my idea, or not my idea, but give you this poem, and I'll ask you if it is good for any of it, alcoholic or not. It is, of course, for death. Two golden days. And after that, I'm going to tell you why we're wealthy. There are two days of the week about which and upon which I need never work. Two carefree days kept sacredly free from fear and apprehension. One of those days is yesterday. Yesterday with all the aches and pains, mistakes and blunders, has passed forever beyond my recall. I cannot unsay a word that I said. I cannot undo an act that I wrought. All that it holds of my life, of wrong, regret, or sorrow, 
lies in the hands of that mighty love that can bring honey out of the rock. The sweetest water out of the bitterest desert. The love that can turn weeping into laughter. Beauty for ashes. Garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. The joy of the morning to the woe of the night. Save for those memories beautiful and tender that linger like the perfume of roses in the heart of that day that is gone. I have no possession in yesterday. It is a day of God. It was mine. The other day that I do not worry about is tomorrow. Tomorrow with all its prayer cares and presence. This mistake, this problem and perplexity, large promises for performance. This is far beyond my mastery as a dead sister yesterday. Sun will rise. It'll rise in roseate splendor behind a mask of weeping clouds, but it will rise. And until then, the same love and patience that held yesterday hold tomorrow. Stay for that star of hope, gleaming forever on the brow of tomorrow and shining with tender promise into the heart of the day, I have no possession in that unborn day of grace. That's God's day. Leave it to Him. All else belongs in the hands of that infinite love that is higher than the stars, broader than the skies, deeper than them. Those are God's days. Leave it. There's only one day left for me. That's today. Any woman can take the burden of just one day. Any man can fight the battle of just one day. Any man can do the work of just one day. It's only when we have those two awful eternities, the eternities that only Almighty God Himself can sustain, do we break down? It isn't the affairs of today that drive people to insanity and suicide. It's the remorse of half what happened yesterday or the fear of what tomorrow may disclose. Therefore, I do and I will and I journey but one day at a time. Cheerfully, that's man's day. That's the easy way. Cheerfully, I do my task and run my course on this day of ours. The almighty and the all-loving God will take care of yesterday and tomorrow. And how true that is. I mentioned we're wealthy. I don't think it makes much difference on what plane of life one lays. 
Now, how large or small the number of his acquaintances may be, one who toils and yet knows within the circle of his influence there is just even one heart in which there is happiness where before there was only sorrow, that there are homes in which there is sunshine where before there was only shadow, and that there are lives in which there is hope where before there was only despair. That man carries with him as he travels along this journey of life the greatest and the richest of treasure. Thank you.